Welcome to the Political Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Pethokoukas of the American Enterprise Institute. Each week, I feature a lively conversation with experts on some of the most important economic and policy questions of our time. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider rating and reviewing it on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. Ratings and reviews really help with the podcast visibility, and I always appreciate the feedback. Thanks, and on to the show. On the heels of a summer of billionaire space flights and William Shatner's recent rocket trip, some Americans are echoing old arguments about the wastefulness of space exploration. Alongside this controversy, massive declines in launch costs and a burgeoning space economy have renewed interest in manned missions to the moon and Mars. In today's episode of Political Economy, John Logsdon discusses NASA's history since the moon landing, billionaires in space, and the path forward for continued exploration. John is the founder and professor emeritus of the Space Policy Institute at George Washington University's Elliott School of International Affairs. He is also the author of several books on the space program, including, most recently, Ronald Reagan and the Space Frontier. John, welcome to the podcast. Uh, happy to be here. What did you think about the William Shatner ride into space? Well, it's great PR for Blue Origin. And uh, his reaction is uh, almost literally priceless. Uh, he really captured the excitement of, of being in space that motivates a lot of us to uh, continue to support uh, space exploration, not just exploitation. What, one thing that I, I noticed about his, uh, his response after landing was rather than thinking about Earth sort of in the classic Carl Sagan pale blue dot, that said he seemed to focus sort of how sort of precarious life seemed to be, that we had the Earth, then just a, a sort of a thin, a thin layer of blue, and then the black. And... Uh, I don't know, just, maybe just a little bit of a different way of looking at it I think I, than I think people often describe the Earth. Well, uh, I think a number of people that have had the experience of being in orbit, and of course Shatner didn't go into orbit, I have experienced what they call the overview effect uh, of looking back at Earth and, and indeed perceiving just how fragile this planet is and how thin our atmosphere is sheltering us from, from uh, the the void of the cosmos it is and, and how important it is to preserve this planet and it, it will take work after his ride not unexpectedly uh there were some politicians cr uh, criticizing it again about billionaires taking joy rides and I, I and i think after some of the previous flights uh you know bernie sanders had something similar and their critiques i think are both about billionaires and wealth but also probably about how resources are being spent. This is not a new critique. Certainly during the Apollo age, there were a lot of critiques of Apollo as, as, as a waste of valuable resources, weren't there? Well, yes, and I'll come back to that in a minute. But it, I think it's worth pointing out that this flight with Shatner was totally private. There was no public money, no government money, except on the very margins involved in the enterprise. And so, you know, private people can spend their money as they choose uh, and, and be subject to criticism, uh, but it's not the same as uh, misplaced priorities in government spending. 
that was the argument during Apollo. And even during Apollo, uh, Amitai Etzioni's social critic still with us, uh, published a book in 1963 called The Moondoggle. And, you know, which was a trenchant criticism of the priority being allocated to Apollo. Uh, and, and it was an entirely legitimate criticism. I didn't agree with it then. I don't agree with it now. But, but uh, there were choices made of how to spend public money, not on education, not on welfare, but on competing with the Soviet Union for global space leadership. And, and you could say, well, that was or was not worth it. If I correctly recall, after it became clear that the Apollo program was going to come to an end, there was a New York Times editorial which said, uh, you know, we've been critical of the program all along and that it was only merely about prestige because now that the space race is won, it's over. So any other reason that you may have given for, for going to space, well, obviously that was just a phony reason because now it's now it's over and i think that that sort of criticism be, it still hurts efforts today that the apollo program and and sort of any new vision about certainly manned space exploration it's about little more than things of national pride or maybe some sort of soft power geopolitics but there's not a substantially good reason at least for people leaving the earth well i think it is but i think there's more to it than that John Kennedy, when he decided to send Americans to the moon, was very clear that it was an element of national security strategy, that it was a way of demonstrating leadership vis-a-vis -vis the Cold War competition with the Soviet Union. And that was something of crucial national interest and importance in the early 60s. So he, he made a very calculated decision that the uh, uh, prize was worth the cost. He revisited that, you know, whether he would have kept to that had he lived all the way through is an interesting question. Uh, the problem since has, it been, has been that there's no answer like, how do you beat the Soviets go to the moon? I mean, what's the question to which the answer is go to Mars or return to the moon? And, and he there really is no compelling answer to that. It becomes a matter of choice, and, and I think societal choice as long as it's government money. My own view is that it, space exploration is an element of human experience that is worth investing when it's less than one half of 1% goes into the NASA budget. Uh, given all, all the other things we spend money on, spending money on exploring space and the human adventure exploring space, I think is worth the cost. Uh, you, you mentioned President Kennedy. The, the Apollo program ended under President Nixon. Have American presidents thought fairly similarly about space? Oh, I think they have differed pretty dramatically from president to president. They've been working on a study of the presidents since Nixon and their attitudes towards the space program. And you see they're highly variable. Jimmy Carter wasn't interested in human spaceflight at all uh, and gave it very low priority. Ronald Reagan saw human spaceflight and space in general as kind of a new frontier. 
had a frontier attitude towards towards uh, life. He wanted to push new frontiers, and he saw space that way. But he didn't put money behind that thought. Uh, the NASA budget was basically the same percentage of the federal budget as Reagan came in and when he left. Uh, George H.W. Bush was convinced to set a return to the moon and then on to Mars as a goal, but that didn't take. Congress was opposed and there wasn't any strong public support, but he proposed on the 20th anniversary of Apollo going back to the moon. Then Bill Clinton didn't have high interest in space exploration. He was focused on the space station using it as an instrument of diplomacy, post-Cold War diplomacy. Uh, George W. Bush had to react after the Columbia accident in 2003 and the criticism of which I had a hand uh, from the Columbia Accident Investigation Board uh, that the, the program lacked a vision. W. Bush set out, again, a, a vision of long-term sustained exploration uh, with, with people as well as, as, as uh, spacecraft. And that really starts and uh, stops has persisted since 2004. And certainly Mr. Trump uh, saw the dramatic potential of space uh, and, and set us on a sustained course of exploration. President Biden has said he's going to stay that course. Uh, so we'll see. We're, we're on a path now to return to the moon with humans. The first woman and the next man is, is the cliche. Uh, sometime in the next five to seven years. One of my favorite television shows, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, is a show called For All Mankind. Yeah, I've seen some of the episodes. It's a, kind of an alternate history show. And the premise is the Soviets get to the moon first. And that sets into motion a variety of events in which the space race never really ends. The Soviets keep going to the moon. We keep going to the moon. Uh, the technology keeps advancing. Was there a scenario where Apollo doesn't end? And there are new, a new manned space programs ends up being the successor programs to Apollo. Was there a conceivable scenario where that happened? Well, was it a scenario? I'm not sure. It was proposed. Uh, there was a, a group, uh, President Nixon knew he had to define what happened after Apollo. And he chartered a thing called the Space Task Group chaired by a well-known space expert named Spiro Agnew, his vice president, to come up with definitive recommendations of what to do after Apollo. And they recommended going to Mars uh, in the mid-1980s. Uh, so if that recommendation had been accepted, it would have been a very different program. Nixon had no interest in spending money on doing that. Uh, he, he, like the astronauts, but he didn't see uh, continued exploration as an important element. He said, it's just another program funded in competition with the, all the other things that are important. And in that competition, space went from 4% of the budget to one half of 1% of the budget. And it stayed there or around there now for the past 25 or 30 years, maybe even more. With Nixon, was it, was it purely he just, you talked previously just about, about human adventure 
that he just didn't grasp that. I've read a couple places that the uh, the near disaster of Apollo 13 also may have played a uh, a role. That really shook him up. Yeah, it, it really did. He got very uh, emotionally engaged with the fate of the Apollo 13 crew. And even before then, he was skeptical of continued lunar exploration. But after Apollo 13, he tried very hard to cancel what turned out to be Apollo 16 and 17. It was NASA that canceled the final two planned missions uh, and, 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 and told Nixon they'd rather have the money on new programs than on repeating trips to the moon. NASA, at least some of the people in NASA, also got cold feet after Apollo 13, realizing just how risky this was. Uh, and, and so NASA has really not embraced exploration as much as it has embraced building and operating the space shuttle, building and operating the space station, and only then turning to what do we do next? And the answer is, is, is resume exploration. To what extent have the changes in the program been driven by a fickle public? You know, we all love you know, the notion of Apollo and politicians love putting scenes of the moon landing in their ads, but America's interest in space might not be as, uh, as great as one might think, given our love of Apollo, not to mention our love of science fiction films. The American public was, was sort of more enthusiastic about the notion, would the politicians follow? And am, and am I characterizing the public opinion correctly? Well, James, I don't know how old you are. I know how old I am. And I was at the launch of Apollo 11. So I'm very much of the Apollo generation. But 60% of the people alive today have been born since Apollo. And that's not part of their memory. Uh, so for those of us that it is, you know, it's, it's kind of sad that there isn't continued enthusiasm. Uh, but look at all the interest in sending Shatner, even just on this little suborbital jaunt. And the people followed the uh, inspiration for orbital, private orbital mission. I think, you know, instead of the Apollo astronauts, we now have Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, uh, Richard Branson. And the things that they're trying to do certainly are capturing a fair amount of public attention. It's been my view that government space programs of character of Apollo and, and similar are really presidential issues, uh, where a president sees the link between space exploration and some important national priority, national image, national adventure, uh, national morale. Uh, and, and some of the presidents have seen that, others have not. The fact that we have not left, I guess, low Earth orbit in a half century, does that mean Apollo was a Apollo was a failure? In what ways do you think Apollo was a failure? In what ways, looking back, was it a, a success beyond the, beyond the goal of actually getting on the moon? Well, for John Kennedy, the point of Apollo was a demonstration of American technological, implicitly military, organizational, potency. It was an act of national power uh, and, and, and national prestige. And in those terms, I think it was totally successful. The rest of the world was more impressed by Apollo at, at 
time than the people in the United States. But it was also by defining it as a race. Once you won the race, there was no reason to keep racing. Uh, and and uh, as I said earlier, uh, the, the race rationale has not been replaced by any other compelling rationale strong enough to rally political support uh, for the funds that are necessary to do things like this. Uh, even beyond the uh, space station and the space shuttle, we still, we, we still have had an active space program, just not a manned space program. I think we sometimes forget the sh- you know, that we continue to send probes uh, to the planets, uh, 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 to, to asteroids. I mean, that's, a, that's not an inconsiderable achievement. Yeah, there's a, a mission going to the asteroids called Lucy. We've explored the solar system uh, on December the 18th. We're going to launch the successor to the Hubble telescope called James Webb that will look back in time and out in space to the origins of the universe. Uh, it's been an extremely exciting space, robotic space exploration program. And in addition, space has become a place for business. Uh, and there's a $400 billion space economy uh, in existence, mainly doing useful things, communications, Earth observation, positioning and navigation. Uh, the uh, space capabilities become central to everyday life, uh, at least in the, in the advanced world. And then there's the whole other use of space for national security and military power, which is very real. Last year and a half or so, the United States created a space force uh, to symbolize the importance of national security space. I think if we would have had our conversation a decade ago, it might have purely been about space probes and a and, a, and us reminiscing about the Apollo program. But clearly that has changed. And that has changed partially at least, uh, if not primarily, the dramatic decline uh, in, in launch costs. What has been going on in space the last 10 years? And how excited are you that uh, space seems to have been opened up in a way that uh, we haven't really considered for quite some time. Well, I think what has been going on is a paradigm shift, to use a kind of uh, jargony phrase. Uh, space is a place to do business, uh, and, and the lowering of launch costs is key to that. And, and uh, one has to give credit to SpaceX and Elon Musk and the introduction of reusability. As, as a key element in the lowering of launch costs, which means there's the possibility of trying and failing without great cost and trying and succeeding in various lines of business. Uh, so space has become an area for profit making, for applications that benefit humans, humanity. In a sense, it's become dull. I mean, it's just another place to do useful things. Uh, I, I still am captured by space exploration, by going places, seeing new things. But that's been kind of overcome, except on occasion, by space exploitation, by finding all the useful things you can do from the orbital perspective and, and eventually beyond. I think some people, they find it, I don't know, untoward maybe, 
that NASA does not seem to be leading America in space, that it, that it is the private sector. Are you, are you fine with the private sector taking the lead in space for the United States? Well, taking the lead is a, a kind of a slippery concept. I mean, we've gotten to the point where there's not one thing called space or space activity. The government still has the lead in exploration, both robotic and human, because nobody has figured out how to monetize it. Uh, you do have people like Musk who are visionaries with a personal preference for exploration. Elon still talks about a million-person city on Mars and never justifies that on economic terms. But uh, the maturing of space uh, means that, that people who are there not because of the excitement of exploration, but uh, because of the possibility of creating new businesses, new wealth, new jobs, see it as an area with a lot of potential. And so there, there's more than one track in space activity, and I'm certainly fine with that. The space race began as a geopolitical rivalry. Now there seems to be a rivalry between the U.S. and China. Do you think that will be helpful in keeping Americans interested in space? I do. Uh, it's very different than the Cold War uh, and, and, and the space race in, in the sense that, that there are so many more capable space actors. It's not just as it was in the 60s, the United States and the Soviet Union. But clearly, China is an ambitious space power. The United States has maintained its commitment to a leading position in space. And I think the competition between those two is very different in character than the uh, U.S.-Soviet Cold War competition. And it's probably good for both sides uh, to, to stimulate activity. You can compete without racing. Uh, and you know, after all, competition is the American way of life. Uh, so, uh, you know, what China is doing in civil space, uh, I think, is in a sense good for everybody. I mean, it's a separate issue that China is developing military space capabilities that are threatening to the U.S. ability to fight and win wars, uh, and that is very much a matter of concern. But uh, China's lunar exploration program, our Artemis exploration program, private ventures and return to the moon, I think are all good for everybody. As we sort of get to the end here, uh, what would you like America to be doing at a governmental level to either stop doing policy-wise or what does it need to start doing that perhaps it's not? What would be your, your policy advice? Right now, the policy advice I would give, and, and it's is stay the course. Uh, the Trump administration uh, left the space heritage for President Biden. President Biden embraced that heritage and said, we're going to keep moving forward. So it's staying the course and consistency of purpose, I guess is the jargon phrase. Uh, let's, let's do continue to prepare for human exploration in the end of this decade and beyond. Uh, it's, it's time to go back. It's time to go somewhere again, not just in circles around the earth. Uh, final question, uh, would you accept an invite from uh, Jeff Bezos on Blue Origin? Well, 
you know, Shatner was 90. Uh, by the time this airs, I will have turned 84. He's in better shape than I am. Uh, so probably yes. I don't want to downgrade uh, what what has happened, but it's it's a joyride going up and down in 10 minutes. You know, if I were going to take the risk, I'd want to go to orbit. Uh, and I'm not sure I'm ready to do that. I like that answer. My guest today has been John Logsdon. John, thanks for coming on the podcast. Good to be with you.